Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Queer Wellness Chats. I'm Jess. I use they, them, and their pronouns. Hey, I'm Sarah. I use she, her, hers pronouns. And Queer Wellness Chats um, is a new series, as I mentioned, as part of Project Uplift, um, which is a new program that focuses on improving health outcomes for LGBTQ plus people. And the purpose of this video series in particular is to build community, provide resources, be a reliable source of information, and hear from you all what you would like from us during this time um, of the COVID-19 pandemic. And before we get into that, we're gonna introduce ourselves a little bit. Would you like to go first, Sarah? Sure, sure. My name is Sarah and I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm an assistant professor at Duke in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. I also work at the Department of Veterans Affairs Hospital in Durham. I'm the LGBT veteran care coordinator there. Um, and fun fact about me, I'm originally from Durham. So I'm really excited about this project uh, being able to get more involved within the community and work on some mental health and wellness within the community. And as I mentioned, I'm Jess. Um, I work within the Center for Health Policy and Inequalities Research at Duke. Um, and I was hired on for this project in particular, Project Uplift. Um, I'm from Moorhead City on the coast of North Carolina, and I've been in Durham since about 2015 or so. Um, my background is in social justice education and doing some direct services work at different nonprofits. Um, and we want to share a little bit about what Project Uplift is. Um, it's, as we mentioned, a new program through the Center for Health Policy and Inequalities Research, affectionately known as CHIPR. Um, and it's funded for three years by the US Department of Health and Human Services. So we're really only just beginning, um, and it's kind of a strange time to be launching this project in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and so we're kind of adapting to the circumstances we've been giving, given. We have a team in Durham and then a team in Charlotte as well. Um, and we know that our services are really even more needed given what's going on um, in the world right now. And the health disparities that were already there are only gonna grow due to this situation. Um, yeah, would you add anything about Project Uplift, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that, um, one of the things that has really struck me is just how um, how much this work is really enriching right now. And um, and we were earlier, Jess and I were talking about how we haven't hadn't even gotten a chance to really meet in person before social distancing really started. And you know, everyone was having to work from home, and it's just it can be so isolating. And so. We wanted a way to come together while we're working out the details of the project, and that's really how these queer wellness chats started. Yeah, um, and just so viewers know, kind of the long-range vision of Project Uplift, we're planning to offer free counseling for mental health and substance use, um, as well as case management, which can look like support around job training, housing, medical care, legal concerns, a lot of different things. Um, and all of that will be free and geared toward LGBTQ plus people ages 18 to 35 in Durham County in the surrounding area, as well as Mecklenburg County. Um, but yeah, today we're gonna be talking a little bit about minority stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to, to start out, we thought that talking about minority stress today would be a good way to start out this series. 
uh, this video series. And we're going to talk about the minority stress model, which is a way to explain the increased presence of, of mental health concerns among LGBTQ plus folks. So we know that depression, PTSD, anxiety, uh, also substance use concerns, they're more common among folks who identify as LGBTQ plus. We also know that psychology as a field, psychology and psychiatry have historically pathologized differences in sexual orientation and differences in gender identity. So that means it's even more important for us to have a model that explains these differences without pathologizing the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, I know I've had my own experiences that have reflected some of those trends. Um, and homosexuality was uh, basically a mental illness diagnosable through the 80s, right? Yeah, so in the 70s, they they um, kind of downregulated it from as, as much of a disorder as it had been, but it still appeared in the DSM until DSM-3, um, which the third revision or the revision of that, which wasn't until the late 80s, that it was fully out of the, of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is basically this big book that psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose their patients. Um, and in a similar way, the various incarnations of what now is gender dysphoria in the current draft of the DSM um, has gone through many incarnations and it was similarly very pathologizing and many people consider it very pathologizing in the current version of the DSM, which only came out a few years ago. Yeah, so it's kind of an uphill battle to get quality mental health care if you're an LGBTQ plus person, which is some of what we're trying to address through this project. Yeah, and so we know, right, that mental health concerns among folks who are LGBTQ plus are not due to any kind of innate mental health vulnerability among queer people. Instead, it's actually because of systemic oppression and it's because of violence towards these communities. So that's why the minority stress model can be so helpful. Um, the model itself was first created by Elon Meyer, who's a professor at UCLA. Um, at first, the model only referred to lesbian, gay, and bisexual folks, but then in 2012, it was expanded by Ryland Testa, who's actually the author of the, the Gender Quest workbook, um, as well as Michael Hendricks, who's an LGBTQ advocate. Um, they expanded it to also explain health, mental health challenges among folks who identify as trans or non-binary. Um, so the idea is that there's this type of stress that's minority stress, and it's unique um, to, to those who have different minority identities, like gender identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, ability, religion, accent, the list goes on, right? So that when we hold these minority identities, we face challenges that folks who are in majority groups don't face. Um, so there's two different kinds of minority stress, according to this model, external and internal. We're going to talk about external minority stress first, then we'll talk about internal stress. And actually, we thought it would be helpful to give some, some personal examples of how this shows up in our own lives. So to start with, external minority stress, there are things around us in our environment that either directly or indirectly threaten our safety, our identity, our well-being. 
Um, some examples are things like discriminatory acts against a person, discriminatory policies or practices, violent acts, oppression, or microaggressions. Those can be things like misgendering or subtle racial or ethnic slights towards a person. Um, so I think, Jess, you were going to give an example of how this shows up in your own life. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest examples that came to mind being a North Carolinian and being a trans person was thinking about using public bathrooms and especially around the time of 2015 and HB2 or the bathroom bill as it was known, um, where the North Carolina legislature basically said trans people had to use the bathroom that correlated with the sex that we were assigned at birth. And I actually had just moved back to North Carolina and had just started testosterone during that same year. And so I already had a lot of anxiety about using bathrooms um, and using men's bathrooms. And as a non-binary person, it felt even more complicated. And then suddenly I had this like other layer where I knew explicitly that there were people who did not want me to feel comfortable in public bathrooms. So trying to navigate all of that um, definitely added to my stress and anxiety levels, whether it was at work or in public. And I mean, I also just tried to stop using the bathroom if I could in public, which was probably not great for my health either. Um, so that was definitely one big external minority stressor in my life. Yeah. And and what you're talking about, like the way that that, that thing that was at this really macro level, right? It's this policy, this this statewide policy that's having an effect on your day-to-day -day life and the way that you can navigate through the world and the way that you think of how you fit in to your community. Um, it really illustrates how, how these external stressors can really um, get inside of us, right? And, and affect our thoughts and our emotions and our physical well-being too. Um, so, so that that makes me um, think about how external minority stressors can become internal minority stressors, right? So, so they're the ways that um, systemic transphobia and systemic homophobia can sort of get, get under the skin, is the way one one researcher termed that. Um, so, some examples of that would be um, having feeling the need to conceal your own gender identity, feeling really um, anxious, like you were saying about expectations of discrimination or expectations of rejection, um, internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia, um, or internalized biphobia. Those kinds of things can, can really affect a person. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, some of my own experience with internalized biphobia. So, so I identify as a queer pansexual person. Um, I'm mostly a cisgender woman, but a little bit gender fluid. Um, but growing up, right, I came of age in the late 90s and the early 2000s in North Carolina. Um, I'm from the Research Triangle, so it's, it, at the time, was more progressive than other parts of the state. But, you know, at that time, um, it was not very accepting of folks who were queer or trans. And um, I grew up believing that bisexuality wasn't real. Like I, it's, it really boggles my mind looking back on it, how I just drank that Kool-Aid um, and just kept hearing this myth that um, bisexual people were actually just closeted gay people or that bisexual women in particular were like fake lesbians and they're actually straight. 
Um, and I internalized a lot of that and it made it really hard to come out as a bisexual person and later as a pansexual person. And, you know, I still struggle with that internalized biphobia today. You know, I'm, I'm a professional clinical psychologist, you know, I, I, I do um, sexuality and gender affirming care. Like that's my, that's part of my job. And I, and this is still something that I struggle with. Um, and yeah, the biphobia is really hard because it comes from within the queer community as much as it comes from within the straight community often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's really true. And, you know, it, it shows up as these worry thoughts about my queer friends not believing that I'm queer enough, even though they've accepted me every step along the way. There's still that sort of nagging um, worry that, you know, you're not going to be accepted people are going to think that you're like fake or, you know, um, shallow or, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, so yeah, the, these internal minority stressors and external minority stressors, they come together, right? They're not existing in a vacuum. They're all happening at the same time and they are affecting folks' mental health and mental well-being. Um, and they can also be made worse right, right now during the pressures linked to COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, and so I think, Jess, you were going to talk a little bit about how that's made, how the COVID-19 pandemic has actually um, kind of exacerbated or made, made some of those stressors worse. Yeah. And so I had mentioned I just got this job shortly before the pandemic hit. So I suddenly had new health insurance and I had to find a new primary care physician, um, a new mental health care provider. Um, different things like that, which is stressful as a trans person to begin with, to figure out um, not only who is trans friendly, but who is non-binary friendly, which is not always the same thing. And then who has openings because there's so few providers often it can take a while to get on a wait list and things like that. Um, and suddenly not only was that stressor happening, but there was a pandemic and I had I have an autoimmune disorder, and so I felt like I really needed to have a primary care physician during the time of COVID-19. And there's all this additional stress, and so it would have been great to have a therapist. Um, but different folks were changing the way they were offering services, and it was a lot of different stressors. And then I know other trans people, I mean, being, have, being able to have access to hormone replacement therapy when different health clinics may be having different hours or are shifting their care in different ways um, was an additional stressor for me and I know for other people too. Um, and then medical, like a fear of medical mistreatment if I did end up having to go to the ER or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's definitely been kind of a compounded issue that I'm still trying to work through. Yeah, and so it, it really strikes me how like there are these what we would call the general stressors in the model, right? The pandemic is a is a general stressor, but that it ties in with minority identity, right? According to the minority stress model, it ties in with some of the the specific concerns that are that are unique for you, um, mm -hmm. and that it kind of um, amplifies some of the stress um, in a way that that. Um, really is is pretty unique to, to folks who are part of our community. Um, so so that all being said, right, we don't wanna be all like 
doom and gloom. Um, so the, the nice thing I think about this model is right that there are sources of resilience. There are there are ways to cope. Um, so that's how we counteract the negative effects of external and internal minority stress. Um, and that's really tied into this idea of why we need pride. Like, why do we need a pride celebration? It's because of this minority stress. We need to counteract that. Um, so one of the ways that, that I um, try to cope with minority stressors is to find ways to act against internalized shame. So like my natural inclination is to feel ashamed of being this like straight passing, well-educated, upwardly mobile queer person. Um, Cause the shame, right? It slows you down. It like freezes you in your tracks. You can't do things if you're feeling that. Um, but if I acknowledge my privilege then I can use that as a tool to help other people. So rephrasing it rather than being something to be ashamed of, to be something to be grateful for and to use to help other people. Um, so the other really important thing is, is to really embrace my need for interconnectedness with other people, um, that, you know, it's been really hard during, during the pandemic because I'm not seeing the people I'm used to seeing my, my drag family. I'm not, I'm used to seeing them and we are, you know, having to send text messages and do video chats and socially distant meetups. Um, my my family of origin, who I'm really close with, like it's just really hard. Um, it's really been hard during this pandemic, but it's even more important for us to rely on those ways that really sustain us and help us feel resilient. Um, so that's our, our spiel <laughs> for today. Thanks for joining us. Um, and we wanna ask for your feedback. Yeah, so these video series this video series can really be whatever we want it to be whatever y'all want it to be and we'd love to hear from you um so we created a little survey where you can tell us what you're interested in if you have what you think of some of our ideas if you have other ideas um, and you can find that if you just type into your search bar tinyurl.com queer chats and presumably you're watching this on facebook we'll also post that link on facebook uh, but we're really excited about this. We hope you are too. Um, please spread the word. Encourage folks to come watch this video um, and let us know what they would like to hear about. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.